Satnam, I'm Guru Prakarmakar. Guru Singh and I travel the world, loving to meet an ever-growing global community. We are appreciative of your vital role on this planet, for it is your willingness to be here and listen that calls forth wisdom, that activates our collective voice in service. Your questions bring forth the answers. For a wealth of information about who we are and what we do, please visit gurusingh.com. Bless you. Let's breathe ourselves here. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am. Exactly who I am. I am who I am. Exactly who I am. I am who I am. Exactly who I am. I am who I am. Exactly who I am. I am who I am. Exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. Experience that. Experience that sensation of being exactly, exactly who you are. With no interference no external expectations, no expectations whatsoever, and therefore there can be no disappointments, because an expectation is something that you appoint yourself to. And when you miss an expectation, you miss an appointment. It's called disappointment. So imagine that you're so in your knowing that expectations are redundant and therefore unused. 
you can you can dial that up in your psycho-emotional systems. Satnam. Medical science is understanding that we have neurology here and we have neurology here in the gut, we have neurology here in the heart center, and we have obvious neurology in the head center. And over the past couple million years, the bipedal hominid, the two-legged creature that was traveling around on two legs primarily, developed the neurology in the head. The head brain expanded dramatically. Prior to that, the dominant brain in our body was the gut brain. And the gut brain had with it, it had a sense which was called by science in today's world called the botanical sense. And the botanical sense allowed you to approach any plant and know whether it was nutritional, medicinal, or pathological, whether it was food, medicine, or poison. You didn't have to smell it, you didn't have to touch it, you just entered its presence and you had this botanical sense. We lost that botanical sense when the gut brain began to deteriorate because if you don't use it, you lose it. But the gut brain was the primary brain that we as gatherers, as herbivore gatherers, were using to find our food. And we had developed it for the purpose of survival. Reactivating that gut brain is very important. One of the things that um, is causing us to reactivate that gut brain is deep relationships. Because deep relationships come from the navel point, come from the mother point. And that mother point is that connecting point, physicality to physicality. What also comes with this gut brain is what's called clairsentience, the gut feeling. That's what my beard sounds like. <laughs> Just saying. And that clairsentience is what gives you a sense of knowing without a reason to know. Because the gut brain doesn't contemplate, doesn't think, doesn't process information in words. It processes information in feelings. Not emotional feelings, but guidance feelings. And so you have this gut brain that if you begin to really activate it, in today's class the exercises are about balancing these three brains. There's a great book out there. And I keep misplacing the exact title of the book because the title of the book is kind of silly. It's, it's something like 
using all three brains and doing cool stuff. Really a long, <laughs> really a, a long title that's kind of like a marketing nightmare, you know? But it's called embraining, which means multi-braining. And medical science is learning that we have literal brains in these three areas, and this one has maximized itself. And the other two are developing again, redeveloping. So this brain, the gut brain, gives you your clairsentience, gives you that capacity to know something. Haven't you all had just that a moment sometime in your life when for no good reason you just knew something and it turned out to be the fact. That's what's called unreasonable knowing. Unreasonable knowing can't be debated. Right? And so it has a very strong force. The more you can invest of your intention into your unreasonable knowing, the less you will be distracted by events surrounding you, by people surrounding you, because you won't be listening to words. You won't be relating to verbal arguments. You'll just be relating to the fact that you know. And so this is a very good way of organizing your important components that you want to manifest. Organize them from the mother point, or what is called the ma point. That's why there's a word namaste. Namaste means I bow, but actually what it means is I belly. <laughs> and because you bow from the belly, that's how that is related together. The brain in your heart center is the one that, because the heart fascia that webbing that encases all of your body parts, the heart fascia extends up through the throat into your tongue. So the heart and the tongue are connected. That's why you speak from the heart. You show affection with your tongue. You know, you taste so many things. And as this goes up through here, it works with the eustachian tubes because the root of the tongue and the eustachian tubes kind of come out of the same, the same vortex, the same matrix. And so the heart brain is effort to give and surrender to receive. And that is, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? How can I serve you? That's the message of the heart brain. And that's what the heart brain does to your whole body. The heart brain serves your whole body. The, the heart is the first organ that the embryo pr ha produces, and it's the last organ to die. So it's the first organ to live and the last organ to die in a physical life. But because it connects up through those eustachian tubes, this intuition, unlike clairsentience, is called clairaudience. So amongst the voices in your thought processing, you will have certain voices that will be very distinct. And those are the voices of your intuition. Those are the voices of your thought 
brain, your thought mechanism that are speaking directly to you. I can remember when I first saw the picture of Guru Angad's wife, <coughs> who was the uh, third guru. Second guru, was it? Excuse me, it was the second guru, thank you. Second guru, his wife, I saw a picture of a painting and this voice in my head said, there's your wife. That was 43 years ago. And so I kept that page out of the magazine and I put it in a frame and I put it on my wall. And every time I went by it, I blew it a kiss. <laughs> Just saying, you know, sharing here. And then nine months later, I was actually flying back from India when that happened. And then nine months later, I'm at winter solstice in Florida and I'm walking across the field because a lot of the classes are outdoors at winter solstice and summer solstice. And um, there was a woman putting down a yoga mat and the voice, the same voice, a very distinct sound in that voice, you know, said, and there she is. And we're married, we've been married for 43 years. But 30 minutes later, Yogi Bhajan calls me over and says, Guru Singh, you're getting too old to be a bachelor. Have you noticed someone recently? And the question was so profound and outstanding in the moment that I completely blanked out. And then everybody around us started laughing at me because there I was kind of like a deer in headlights. And he looked at me and he kind of snickered and he said, ah, when it's just you and me, we'll talk. And so that voice, that heart-centered voice is a voice that is connected to that organ which is the most loving organ of your body. Your heart doesn't take a break. I mean, if it takes a break, you don't exist in this physical form. I mean, you exist, but you don't exist in this physical form. And so this heart is always looking out for you. But it's also not a verbal component. It's not a verbal brain. And so both this brain and this brain are nonverbal, even though the clairaudience will speak to you in words. But the heart is processing the information in a nonverbal way. And then it will translate into that clairaudience to deliver it to you so that your intellect can understand it. But there's a lot of things that you feel in your heart that you don't need an explanation for, aren't there? There's a lot of sensations that you have, that heartfelt sensation. Like when I walked out of Yoga West that time, you know, it's like three hearts just suddenly like, pong. You didn't need a voice in your head. So the idea that you can connect with people at the gut, and once you connect with people at the gut, your diaphragm relaxes. This is the physicality of yoga, of kundalini yoga. 
So when your diaphragm relaxes, then all of a sudden the liver heat comes up into the heart. Otherwise, when the diaphragm is tense, when the gut's not connected, the diaphragm will be tense because you can't be vulnerable unless you're connected. So the diaphragm goes flexible. The heat from your liver permeates up into your heart. And all of a sudden, you start to experience the nature of life. And the nature of life is that we live in an ocean of love. And when we relax and feel safe, we experience that ocean of love through the heart center. And that ocean of love, when experienced through the heart center, is usually blamed on someone. <laughs> we go, oh, I really love you, you know? But that's claiming that you're in charge of love. And that would be like two people going into the ocean and one person saying to the other person, oh, I really ocean you. <laughs> now, that, you know, you'd turn around and look at that person and go, well, yeah, yeah. what does that mean, you know? But because we are so individuated and so separated that in those moments when we completely relax, completely allow ourselves to feel safe and vulnerable, what ends up happening is we end up experiencing the ocean of love. We experience it in the presence of someone else. And all of a sudden we go, oh, wow. I love you, but the reason that we're actually experiencing it in their presence is that their presence is non-threatening. That it's something about the tone of their voice, the scent that they're emitting. Something in this process is, is feeling safe to you. And as long as you're feeling safe, you will drop into the what is called the rasa, R-A-S-A -A in Sanskrit. It's where the word rasayana, satnam rasayana comes from. The rasa is the essences, not the senses, but the essences. That's where that word comes from. The essences of your being. And when you're experiencing from the essences, or the essences, you're actually experiencing at a quantum level, at a level that is below the molecular level. And since it's below the molecular level, it's non-visual. You're experiencing something that can't be seen because you can only see things that are compiled of molecules. You can't see atoms. You can't even see molecules, but you can see things that are composed of molecules. So it's said that you're our sensory system is operating at a molecular level. Even your auditory system is operating at a molecular level. But your essences, your rasa, which is connected to another thing called the vayus, V-A-Y-U-S, which are these sections of your body that are actually receptive to that subtlety. So once you get these two brains to really start to function, your head brain 
doesn't feel at all jealous. Initially, your head brain will doubt the integrity of the experience, but it won't be jealous, which is really important. And because it doubts the integrity of the experience, you'll have doubts about, is this real? Haven't you ever had that? You know, you have a gut feeling, you go, is this real? Well, that's your head brain doubting your gut brain as being valid because it's been asleep for so long, right? Or if this is engaging and you're experiencing that, can I serve you and the pleasure of being able to serve someone and then relaxing and finding out you receive so much more from that act of service. And you think, is this real? Because that's the head brain asking, is this real? But when you become consistent with the gut brain and the heart brain, the head brain begins to count on it. And then it is absolutely enamored by the experience. The head brain stops its incessant chatter and begins to be a co-operator cooperator, a co-operator, a co-ordinator, a co-producer of the experience that you're having in life. And that means that the head brain and its association with the five senses don't dominate you. So when you come into someone's presence, you're not just, oh, what do they look like? And what do they sound like? And what do they smell like? You know, as I you're, you're, you noticed I didn't go to what do they taste like because <laughs> I thought that would be a road too far. You know? And once these are not dominating your experience of someone else, you're able to connect because if these dominate, they'll make so much noise. They will be comparing it to the archives of memory files that you have. Who do they remind me of? Oh, what does that sound like? Oh, you know, and it's going to be going incessantly into your archives. Now, your archives are made up of your past. And a good friend of ours has a wonderful saying, and that is that your future doesn't equal your past unless you're living in it. If you're living in your past, then your future will equal your past. But the fact that these archives are in your past, if you're relating from your sensory system, which is constantly comparing, because the head brain is very two-dimensional, yes, no, right, wrong, good, bad, a comparative activity. El eliminating this is the dominant force, you connect. And when you connect, you connect that rasa, you connect your essences. And all of a sudden, now you're having an experience that isn't maya. It isn't illusion. It is real. And so the question of, is this real, is actually an inverted reality. Because just operating from here, just using your five senses, isn't real. It's a made-up story because what filters your five senses is your memory.
and you will insert in the signal of your eyes and you will insert in the signal of your ears and all of your other senses, you will insert other information which will distort the sensation and you won't have a true picture. You've heard the expression, an acquired taste, having to deal with your sense of taste. Can you remember not liking something and now you like it? Hmm? That's because an acquired taste, what happens in the acquisition process is you begin to filter out the disturbances, the comparative disturbances that are actually telling you whether you like it or not. And this same thing holds true with visual and with auditory. So when you see someone or when you hear someone, the idea of whether you like them or not is unreal. It isn't based on who they are. It's based on who you are assuming there are. And your assumption jumps in front of your sensation. And all of a sudden you're relating to your assumption of whoever it is. But if you allow yourself to come into this fully balanced gut, brain, heart, brain, head, brain. Now, not only do you experience the other person, but this is the clicker. You experience, they experience you experiencing them. And when someone experiences, this is what would happen when you would walk into the present, our good friend, the Dalai Lama, whenever my wife and I have been with him, he is in such a state of rasa. He is so in this balanced state that you experience him experiencing you. It was the same way with Yogi Bhajan. You would experience him experiencing you fully. And what that does, it has nothing to do with like and dislike. It has to do with being recognized. When your whole being feels like it's being recognized, it's in celebration, which is literally where the word celebrity comes from. Isn't it true that a celebrity is someone who is, for whatever reason, is recognized? And it's because they're consistently recognized, their system goes into celebration. And when their system goes into celebration, it puts out more information that is capable of being recognized. So it's a, what's the polarity to vicious? It's an auspicious cycle. Mm -hmm. Instead of a vicious cycle, it's an auspicious cycle. So all of a sudden, you can build. And this is what is known as levity. And levity in the wave of time, in the wave of time you have gravity influencing your moments and you have levity influencing your moments. And then there's the back side which is the work side and the front side which is the surrender side. The work side is what's known as safe and surrender because you're vulnerable is what's known as risk. 
Now, the sweetest part of a moment is what's called the levity risk quadrant. In the levity risk quadrant, meaning that your, that your effervescence, your, your celebratory, and you're completely vulnerable. And when you're celebratory and completely vulnerable, you experience faith, trust, love, joy, inspiration, enthusiasm. You experience what are known as the devotions. But it isn't very... Mm, you don't always feel secure unless you're comfortable with surrendering. So when you go into these expression feelings of joy and love and inspiration and faith and trust, your head brain's going to be questioning you and asking you, are you sure? Are you sure? The moment you go to, are you sure, you're going to either fall off the front of the wave and go into commotion and then confirm that, no, I wasn't sure and thank God I got out of that, right? Or you're going to slip back into determinations and, and, the, um, and the struggling or the dark emotions. And then you're going to feel identified because you identify with work. When you're making an effort, there's an identity involved in it. I am making an effort. But what if in trying to accomplish something, you were suddenly picked up by some kind of a psycho-emotional wave, psycho-emotional and spiritual wave. And instead of having to make an effort to get everything achieved, phone calls would come in. Hey, I just thought I should offer my help, right? And things would line up. This is that prayer that I keep repeating that my mom would say every day before our day would begin, before our family day would begin. The places we are to go, we shall go. The people we are to meet, we shall meet. The words I am to speak shall form on my lips. And that which I am to accomplish is already done. Because you've slipped into this dimension in which time has collapsed into a single moment. And everything that is going to serve you in that moment is available because everything is everywhere always. That's the nature, the holographic nature of infinity. And so all of a sudden, everything starts to manifest. Everything starts. What do you feel? Because you're not having to work, you don't have an identity, you start to lose your identity. And your identity is just made up of memory anyway. And when you start to lose your identity, that's an incredible opportunity. Because your identity is what you have memorized from the past. So when you start losing your identity, when you start losing that memorization of your identity from the past, you start opening the opportunity of what you can be in the present and in the future. And that's the doorway to growth. And the doorway to growth is approached by balancing the gut 
and the heart and the head, all three centers of neuromechanics, of brain activity, all of them different, but approaching every situation except driving a car, but approaching every situation with complete and total balance. Just back to that point. Driving a car is three dimensions, but the decisions should be made in two dimensions. Right, wrong, good, bad, yes, no. Those are the ways in which you make the best decisions in driving a car. And that's why they like to take people off their phones when they're driving a car, because when you're in conversation with someone on a phone, you're not thinking necessarily two-dimensionally. And so it takes your mind not off the road, it takes your mind off the job. But for everything else, particularly relationships, and particularly manifestation of aspiration, of projects, of you know, plans, etc. You want to be able to sit in that. And so later in the class, after we've done the Kriya, we will allow ourselves to bring into our mind, into our minds, uh, the three minds, or the three brains that are connecting to the one mind, however you want to relate to it, we're going to ask you to bring into that equation things that you have currently on your plate. Ideas, tasks, relationships, anything that is currently involved involving your activity. And so let's begin by just reconfirming. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am. I am who I am, exactly who I am.
exhale. Bless you for joining us. Visit gurusing.com for an ever-expanding archive of lectures, videos, yoga sets, meditations, and more. All the classes can be found now on gurusing.teachable.com. There's going to be long-form classes available there, 30-minute long yoga classes with Kriya. There's also what is called a Kundalini Recharge. It's a brief lecture about something like depression or gratitude or achievement or partnering or success. And it'll be a lecture with a pranayama, a breathing exercise, and a single asana that you can just jump into during the day. And then it'll round out with an affirmation or meditation. And these will be like 11 minutes. And then there are also going to be audio files, which are guided 11-minute meditations, which you can listen to. And that's all within gurusing.com. Satnam.